Chapter Six, Section Four of *The Promise of American Life* by Herbert Crowley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by the Progressing America Project. Chapter Six, Section Four. William Travers Jerome as a Reformer. Mr. William Travers Jerome has not so assured a rank in the hierarchy of reformers as he had a few years ago, but his work and his point of view remain typical and significant. Unlike Mr. Bryan, he is in temperament and sympathies far from being an old-fashioned Democrat. He is, as his official expositor, the late Mr. Alfred Hodder, says, a typical American of the new time. No old-fashioned Democrat would have smoked cigarettes, tossed dice in public for drinks, and handed out slang to his constituents, and his unconventionality in these respects is merely an occasional expression of a novel, individual, and refreshing point of view. Mr. Jerome alone among American politicians has made a specialty of plain speaking. He has revolted against the tradition in our politics which seeks to stop every leak with a good intention and plaster every sore with a decorative phrase. He has, says Mr. Hodder, a partly Gaelic passion for intellectual veracity, for a clear recognition of the facts before him, however ugly, and a wholly Gaelic hatred of hypocrisy. It is Mr. Jerome's intellectual veracity, his somewhat conscious and strenuous ideal of plain speaking, which has been his personal contribution to the cause of reform, and he is right in believing it to be a very important contribution. The effective work of reform, as has already been pointed out, demands on the part of its leaders the intellectual virtues of candor, consistency, and a clear recognition of facts. In Mr. Jerome's own case, his candor and his clear recognition of facts have been used almost exclusively in the field of municipal reform. He has vigorously protested against existing laws which have been passed in obedience to a rigorous Puritanism, which, because of their defiance of stubborn facts, can scarcely be enforced, and whose statutory existence merely provides an opportunity for the grafter. He has clearly discerned that in seeking the amendment of such laws, he is obliged to fight, not merely an unwise statute, but an erroneous, superficial, and hypocritical state of mind. Although it may have been his own official duty as district attorney, to see that certain laws are enforced and to prosecute the lawbreakers, he fully realizes that municipal reform at least will never attain its ends until the public, the respectable, well-to-do, church-going public, is converted to an abandonment of what Mr. Hodder calls administrative lying. Consequently, his intellectual candor is more than a personal peculiarity, more even than an extremely effective method of popular agitation. It is the expression of a deeper aspect of reform, which many respectable reformers not merely ignore, but fear and reprobate, an aspect of reform which can never prevail until the reformers themselves are subjected to a process of purgation and education. It has happened, however, that Mr. Jerome's reputation and successes have been won in the field of local politics, and, unfortunately, as soon as he transgressed the boundaries of that field, he lost his efficiency, his insight, and, to my mind, his interest. Only a year after he was elected to the district attorneyship of New York County, in spite of the opposition both of Tammany and William Randolph Hearst, he offered himself as a candidate for the Democratic gubernatorial nomination of New York, on the comprehensive platform of his oath of office, but in the larger arena his tactics proved to be ineffective, 
and his recent popularity of small avail. He cut no figure at all in the convention, and a very insignificant one outside. Neither was there any reason to be surprised at this result. In municipal politics he stood for an ideal and a method of agitation, which was both individual and of great value. In state and national politics he stood for nothing individual, for nothing of peculiar value, for no specific group of ideas or scheme of policy. The announcement that a candidate's platform consists of his oath of office doubtless has a full persuasive sound to many Americans, but it was nonetheless on Mr. Jerome's part an inept and meaningless performance. He was bidding for support merely on the ground that he was an honest man, who proposed to keep his word. But honesty and good faith are qualities which the public have a right to take for granted in their officials, and no candidate can lay peculiar claim to them without becoming politically sanctimonious. Mr. Hurst's strength consisted in the fact that he had, for years, stood for a particular group of ideas and a particular attitude of mind towards the problems of state and national politics, while Mr. Jerome's weakness consisted in the fact that he had never really tried to lead public opinion in relation to state and national political problems, and that he was obliged to claim support on the score of political moral superiority to his opponent. The moral superiority may be admitted, but alone it never would and never should contribute to his election. In times like these, a reformer must identify a particular group of remedial measures with his public personality. The public has a right to know in what definite ways a reformer's righteousness is to be made effective, and Mr. Jerome has never taken any vigorous and novel line in relation to the problems of state and national politics. When he speaks on those subjects, he loses his vivacity, and betrays in his thinking a tendency of old-fashioned democracy, far beyond that of Mr. Bryan. He becomes in his opinions eminently respectable and tolerably dull, which is, as the late Mr. Alfred Hodder could have told him, quite out of keeping with the part of a new American. Mr. Jerome has never given the smallest evidence of having taken serious independent thought on our fundamental political problems. In certain points of detail respecting general political questions, he has shown a refreshing freedom from conventional illusions, but, so far as I know, no public word has ever escaped him, which indicates that he has applied his ideal of intellectual veracity, his Gaelic instinct for consistency, to the creed of his own party. When confronted by the fabric of traditional Jeffersonian democracy, his mind, like that of so many other Democrats, is immediately lulled into repose. In one of his speeches, for instance, he has referred to his party as essentially the party of liberal ideas, and he was much praised by the anti-Hearst newspapers for this consoling description, but it can hardly be considered as an illustration of Mr. Jerome's intellectual veracity. If by liberal ideas one means economic and political heresies, such as nullification, squatter sovereignty, secession, free silver, and occasional projects of repudiation, then, indeed, the democracy has been a party of liberal ideas. But heresies of this kind are not the expression of liberal thought. They are the result of various phases of local political and economic discontent. When a group of Democrats become liberal, it usually means that they are doing a bad business, or are suffering from a real or supposed injury. But if by liberal we mean, not merely radical and subversive, but progressive national ideas, 
the application of the adjective to the democratic party is attended with certain difficulties in the course of american history what measure of legislation expressive of a progressive national idea can be attributed to the democratic party at times it has been possessed by certain revolutionary tendencies at other times it has been steeped in bourbon conservatism at present it is alternating between one and the other according to the needs and opportunities of the immediate political situation it is trying to find room within its hospitable folds for both alton brooks parker and william jennings bryan and it has such an appetite for inconsistencies that it may succeed but in any event one would expect some symptoms of uneasiness on the part of a democratic reformer with gallic clearness and consistency of mind with an instinct for consistency and a hatred for hypocrisy end of chapter 6 section 4